Well, good evening. Hello again. Glad to uh, see you this evening. Uh, Pulling double duty tonight. Kelly is out, but I'm so glad that you're here. And I want to invite you to turn in a Bible or swipe there to the book of Matthew, which is the first book there in the New Testament. Matthew is one of the Gospels that tells the story of Jesus. And we will be in maybe a familiar passage to you in Matthew chapter 2. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible handy, but let's begin looking there in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Now pause there and ask yourself, where are they when they're asking this? Are they in Bethlehem? No. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. Because you'd expect the king of the Jews to be, to be born in the Jewish capital of Jerusalem. So they're almost there because we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. But instead of finding Jesus, who do they find? Let's look at the next verse. King Herod. When he heard this, he was disturbed. Why? Because he's the king. And if anybody needs to know who the king of the Jews is, it's probably the king of the Jews. He was disturbed, and then all of Jerusalem with him. That's strange, because if all of Jerusalem hears that there might be another king, that means there might be another war. Verse 4. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for God's anointed king, where was this Messiah to be born? Verse 5, they say, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is where, excuse me, this is what the prophet has written. This is Micah 5.2. Look here, Matthew quoted in verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi that set this whole thing in motion. He called them secretly, and then he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So then he sent them on their way to Bethlehem, and he said, hey, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. That's when you all groan and gag because that dude is lying through his teeth. Verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures And they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. I want to start by making a statement. And the statement is this. God's love seeks expression. What do I mean by that? If you love something or someone, try not talking about it. Try not expressing it. I know you all love stuff because you got to tell me all about your favorite show that you just watched last week. Y'all know I love my dog because if you come into my house, you hear me say, I love you, little pup. You're a good pup. You hear my dog voice. Right, Amy Sinclair. <laughs> love seeks expression. You can't help but say it, shout it. When God created all things, I just wonder if creation itself was an overflow, an outworking, or an expression of the God who is love. So when God who loves, God who is in a loving relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creates and speaks into being, and he says, let there be light. I just wonder if light is God's love expressed in photons. And I just wonder if the water and the earth is God's love expressed in atoms and molecules. Because out of the overflow of God's love and life and beauty and goodness, it just explodes into being. And so then we ask this question. Do you think that God who created all the galaxies stopped with just our little galaxy, the Milky Way. Let me ask you this. How many galaxies do scientists estimate there are in the universe? Whoa. Yes. How many billions? Billions of billions. Yes. Someone give me a number. Billions of billions, like seven, eight, nine, ten. Whoa, dude. They estimate between 100 and 200 ba -ba 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 billion galaxies. The Milky Way is our galaxy, and it has about 100 million stars in our galaxy. So if there's 100 to 200 billion of those galaxies, here's another question. Do you think there are more stars in our universe or more sand in our earth? More stars or more grains of sand? Sand? Stars. You're outvoted, Mr. Foster. There are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the earth. Only in the observable universe, scientists believe that there are at least, ready mathematician? One septillion stars. So if there's billions of billions of galaxies, watch, there are trillions of trillions of stars. One septillion, I had to Google this, is 24 zeros. God's love seeks expression. And out of trillions of trillions, septillion stars... In billions of galaxies, one star catches the attention of some foreigners 
who do a forbidden practice of astrology and divination, but God's love seeks expression, and he gets their attention, and they have an epiphany that God is interactive. These men who study the stars and have really nothing to do with the Jewish faith, the Jewish scripture, the God of Israel, sees a star that is associated with the Jewish people, and they say, let's go and see what this is about. Out of one septillion stars in hundreds of billions of galaxies, this star gets their attention because God loves to get our attention. He longs to get our attention because I believe that God creates to reveal love. But he doesn't just stop there to say, look at all these wonderful things. He sends stars or he sends nudges. He sends people. He sends whatever it is in your everyday life to say, hey, I'm here. Because he doesn't want you to just see it. He wants you to receive it. God is not just interactive. God is interpersonal and God wants a relationship. So God not only creates to reveal love, God partners with us so that we can receive love. And when we open ourselves to this love, we're transformed by that love. And then because, watch, love seeks expression, we go out and we express that love to the world around us. This is what the whole thing is about. God's love seeks expression. We don't know exactly when Jesus was born. We don't know when this happened. But Jesus, think more toddler, less newborn in a manger. This is a journey that takes time. We don't know who these magi are. We don't know how many there were, like Miguel said. We think three because there's three gifts. But we also know that magi was a word for magician or astrologer. It was a class of people in that time period. Because the science of that day was astrology. They looked at all the septillion of the stars that they could see. And they were trying to discern what was going on in the supernatural divine realm. So they were the scientists of the day, but that's really not exactly true because the science they were performing is actually forbidden in the Old Testament. The Jewish people were people that didn't have magi. The Babylonians had magi. The Persians had magi. You could not find a Jewish magi. They couldn't do it. So let's that sink in. That God has one star that gets the attention of these forbidden foreigners so that they might come and be an expression to God's own people that God's king has come. Hello? We don't know who they are. We don't know how many. We don't know what cosmic phenomenon got their attention. We don't know why this forbidden practice became part of the gospel story. But listen, we do know that God does surprising things with surprising people. If you have followed the Christmas journey of Advent that we've done, and then the Christmas season, we have shepherds, we have childish 
excuse me, childless, aging parents, and unwed women getting visits from angels. Not kings. The young girl who wasn't expecting it gets a visit from an angel. Not the muckety-muck, but an aging priest and his wife, who the whole town considered abandoned by God, they get an angel visit. And then the rough-and-tumble, nomadic, bottom-of-the-totem-pole shepherds get a whole choir of angels. Because God loves to do surprising things with surprising people. Later after this, when Jesus goes to be circumcised and to do this, not after this, but before this, when Jesus was a baby, there are two aging prophets who will recognize him as, quote, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. In the Jewish world, there were two kinds of people, Jews and who? Gentiles. The word Gentile is just a word for nations, okay? It's like, it's green, and then it's all the rest. It's a catch-all term. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. God's love seeks expression. God wants to get our attention. An epiphany is the recognition of that reality. Epiphany, that recognition, that revelation, that all at once, got it, is the recognizing the gift and responding appropriately. What would our life in this new year look like if we cultivated an attention? The Magi looked for stars. What might you look for in your everyday life to say, that's a gift. And when you notice the fingerprints of God in your everyday life, at work, at home, in the car, every day you wake up breathing and every night you go to bed and you're not bleeding. I'm a preacher that seemed like it rhymed. Is a gift. And then we respond by saying, thanks. This is what we see this evening. These magi, forbidden foreign astrologers, recognize the gift of God's true king, but you know who doesn't? The Jewish king. The leader of God's people, Herod the Great. He's a pretend king. There's a difference between the pretend king and the wise kings. Herod is not the same Herod at the end of the story. Okay, this is the OG Herod, Herod the Great. Herod the Great is a pretend king that got real cozy with the Romans. And when the Romans became the empire of the day, they said, we bring you a gospel of peace. And they said, here's what our peace looks like. You surrender to us. Or you die. That's the options. And so Herod says, I'll take the first one, please. And Herod got real cozy so that he could be the king of the Jews in the part of the Roman Empire that the Romans didn't really love to be in. And so he 
would build this big, huge temple that Jesus, as an adult, would later knock over tables and teach in and say, my house should be a house for all nations. But before all this is Herod the Great. He built that temple, but guess what else? He also built several to Caesar because he wanted to hedge his bets. He had some priests in his court. Sure, after he literally killed the highest priests beforehand. He also had a family. But he was so paranoid they'd turn against him. Listen, his brother mysteriously drowned in what architects say was way too shallow of a pool, which is like the first mob hit in the Bible times. His brother was killed. His two sons he had killed because they thought, he thought, they were conspiring against him. And then five days before Herod the Great died, on his deathbed, he ordered the execution of another son who was actually the son that framed those two that got killed before He killed three of his own sons, and because his wife was falsely accused of adultery, he had her killed too. When he died, the Jewish people celebrated. That's a pretend king. And we say, I can't imagine. What a crazy kind of king. And I say, there are Herods out the wazoo. We live in a world that is full of Herods that would rather resort to violence because they are too impatient to do the way of love that transforms, heals, grows for human flourishing. At the beginning of our text in Matthew chapter 2, when Matthew says, in the time of Herod, that's just not an interesting historical note. That's a clue to you to say, Jesus is born into a world that is filled with the same kinds of complications, the same kinds of factions, and the same kinds of destructions that people are experiencing in his hometown today. The world has no shortage of Herods, but what the world needs is a true king that would transform the world not with violence and power and fear-mongering, but of love and peace and justice. Jesus is born into no other world but into this broken world, into this world that is marred by sin and violence and hatred. Because that's the world that God wants to save. And God in love who created the world in love wants to redeem it. And so instead of doing what Herod does and killing all of the people that oppose him, he sends one of us so that we might be transformed to be like him. This is good news. Jesus comes not to kill, but to be killed, so that our own hearts might be freed from the same brokenness, the same pattern of Herod and all the others that come in and make more hell and less heaven. So heaven comes to us. And this is good news of the true king who is shining light and love and an invitation for all to come and be freed from sin, death, and evil.
Sin is the Bible word for missing the mark. Imagine I had a bow and arrow, and I'm trying to hit that Christmas tree over there, and I pull it, and sorry, I hit Becky. (laughs) Y'all would say, you missed the mark, after all the screaming and panicking. That's what that word conveys. God has a way that leads to flourishing and goodness and love. Look at all I've created. Look at my king who has come. And we say, eh, we'd rather just follow a Herod. Look at how I've called you to love others and to give and live a life of generous flourishing. Eh, we'd rather do our own thing. Sin is the rebelling against or the resisting of God's initiative. If epiphany is recognizing the gift and responding appropriately, sin is the inappropriate response of that same gift. Amy had a birthday this week. And because she's a grown-up who had a birthday, she had to go to work on her birthday. So she was there on her birthday, and she was in her preschool room, and she came in to find a big old happy birthday balloon that Miss Payne left for her, her teacher. Isn't that so sweet? Well, her first student came in. He's always the first to get dropped off. And he sees the big old happy birthday balloon. And he looks at the balloon and then he looks at Miss Wood. And he looks at the balloon and then he looks at Miss Wood. And he goes, whose birthday is it today? And then Miss Wood goes, well, I don't know. As she looks around an empty room with literally just the two of them. And she goes, is it your birthday? He goes, no. And she goes, well... And he goes, then it starts to dawn on him. He goes, is it your birthday? He said, is it your real birthday? And she goes, yes. To which he says, I thought you looked bigger. (laughs) Which Amy said she loved to hear coming back from Christmas vacation. But the reality is when you're four, bigger is synonymous with older. That's at least what we've been telling (laughs) ourselves. What Amy said is he missed the mark. (laughs) In so many ways, he kind of did. It's like we see not a birthday balloon, but life in breath, and we see beauty, and we see family, and we see health, and we say, what's all this? And as if God is interacting, maybe not with a star, but in some way in your everyday life, if we, like the Magi, were to pay attention, it would get our attention long enough to say, what's all this? What, and, and what I mean is like, why am I here? Why am I alive? What what is underneath it all? What is the reality? It's as if we say, look at this life, look at these things. Thanks for the gift of life, beauty, and love. But, hmm, I think I'll turn my back on you. I think I'll turn my back on neighbor. I think I'll hate and hurt. We miss the mark 
when we ignore what's happening, when we ignore God, when we turn our back on our neighbor and think of life as a game to win instead of a gift to learn how to receive and give love. Let me say this again. One of the problems with our world is that we see life as a game to win instead of a gift to learn how to receive and give love. It's as if we say, ah, God, I thought that was you, but I would rather continue to ignore, to hate, and turn my back. For Herod, life is a game to win, to keep power, and it will cause him to do something so heinous and so often glossed over. And that's what happens in the next scene in Matthew. And that is that he is so motivated by fear and power, and he so misses the mark that he will institute a genocide of all boys born within the window of when the Magi saw the star and from when they made that visit. Because sin is a lot worse than a funny anecdote. Sin is what has led to the breakdown and separation and hell on earth and even beyond. So the reminder is to pay attention. But because Herod wants to keep power, he still wants to figure out what city he should focus his efforts on. So watch, he consults the Bible to discern his rival. And he gathers the people that know the Bible, and they say it's in Micah 5.2, which is what Matthew quotes and we read earlier. But watch the inappropriate response, because do you know that people can know the Bible and miss Jesus? Do you know that people can recite all kinds of scripture, especially ones in Leviticus, and then put it on a sign and hate their neighbor? Do you know that people can know all the stuff about God and have no sense of knowing God? This is a sober warning because all the people that knew the Bible heard that the king was born in Bethlehem, but they would dare not follow the foreign and forbidden people to where he was. They would rather stay in their place of comfort and power. Also note this. The Magi needed more of the story than the star. So you have this strange thing where the people that knew the Bible missed the epiphany because they didn't respond appropriately. Then you have this other interesting thing where the Magi saw the star, but they still needed to hear more of the story. What might that look like? I just... You know, for me, God is not God. God is like nature. God is like when I just look at a mountain. At some point, the God who expresses his love in all of creation wants us 
to start to pay attention and to start to pay attention. And he's drawing all people to himself. He's a light to the world. But at some point, those people that have taken one step, two step, three step need to hear the story that Jesus is Lord. And that you can give your life and partner with him so that you can have eternal life. The gospel is not a star. The gospel is good news. That Jesus is Lord and you and them and them are invited into an interactive, participatory relationship of receiving love and then being transformed by love to go in love and find that God gives you his very life. The Magi needed more story than just the star. They needed something to keep moving them toward Jesus. Epiphany reminds us that we need to keep paying attention. Understand that the new year rolls over and you have your Bible reading plans. You can find one on our website in Sermon and Resources. We have apps that we've talked about to help you pray as you're on your commute and in your drive. I would love to talk to you about those and so many others. I recommended a book when someone was asking about a rhythm of life. There are so many resources, but here's what I want to remind you. To read the Bible, to have a discipline of prayer, to have words to pray like we use a lot in our church. Understand that those in and of themselves... They're just tools. The point of the disciplines or whatever you're taking on, new year, new you, the point is to get you into position, to get you into a posture to where God can act upon you. It's what we've said so often in our church. If we have a cup and we ask the server for a refill, but we do this number, the server is eventually going to say, I would love to give this to you, but you're going to need to sit still. To read the Bible, to put yourself in a posture of prayer, becomes no more than an exercise of knowing about God unless you allow yourself to be acted upon to know God. Read the Bible insofar as it leads you to make the journey to Bethlehem. Don't read the Bible to continue to stay in your place of comfort, your place of knowing it all, and your place of remaining with the powerful and not being moved out to the margins where Jesus actually is. So if sin is an inappropriate response, if we can know the Bible but not really know him, we need to pay attention and we need to explore finally the alternative response to Herod's. And what that is, is worship. Worship, I like to think of as worth-ship. I'm giving worth. It's the response to the divine initiative. We gather for worship to sing and pray and pause to say, Hey, you are worth my time. You are worth my gifts. You are worth my attention. It is a response or, as the slide says, it is the exhale after the inhale. As we sang a moment ago, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise to you only. What you worship 
is what you are giving your worth to. And as we've talked about, whatever you give your attention to is what you're giving your time to. And what you're giving your time to, ready, is what you're giving your life to. And me, as a pastor, I love to say, I give my life to you, Jesus. But I just wonder what gets the most of my attention. Because what I give my attention to is what I give my time to, and what I give my time to is what I give my life to. And so at least as the gathered community, we gather back together to say, no, 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 this is where the life is. This is where the way is. This is where the truth is. This is why we worship. To give back what we've been given. To return what I receive, which is to return gratitude to God. To return awe to God. To return my stuff, my attention I am overjoyed. What if part of our attention giving was to look at the gifts that God has already given? Maybe something like this. What's the gift in your life? Do you have a person to love or a child to raise? Do you have a job to perform? Do you have a body to maintain? Do you have a passion to cultivate? When we talk about worship, it doesn't just have to be in the gathered community. Worship is the recognition that, hey, this is a gift. And so I'm going to respond by saying, thank you. God, I'm in awe of you. And like the Magi, they were overjoyed. So they opened their gifts and they gave gold to signify royalty. They gave incense because that's what you would burn for a deity. They gave myrrh, which was used for anointing, which was the Jewish title for their king, the anointed one. But myrrh was also used for embalming. There's something happening in the giving of those gifts as a response. It's two things. It's costly and it's holy. Their response is the recognition that there's something other. Holy is just a word for separate. There's something about this king. And I respond with gifts, even at cost. As we wind down, I want to quote a few lines from a poem written in the 1800s by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I love this. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. We began our time talking about how I believe that God's love seeks expression. Your life might just be crammed with heaven and on your way to work, there's a bush like with Moses that is burning with the presence of God. But do we drive right past it? And then you walk back into your place where you live and you see the people you live with. You connect with your neighbor and it's a bush, a fire with God's presence saying, pay attention, I'm here, I'm in this. But then do we just turn around? 
or worse, do we see the bush of fire with God and all we see is something to just take or use or destroy? What do we recognize from the expressive star-slinging God? How will we respond this week to the longing of God who is looking for partners in his work to redeem the world? For the Magi, what felt like a finish line, we finally found him. Watch, it ends up becoming a starting line. They get that dream and then they go another way. They don't stay in Bethlehem and keep worshiping. The dream said, no, 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 go home. Do you think that they left that encounter changed? Do you think that they told someone at home about this amazing, expressive, star-slinging God? So may we, as those who have journeyed to Jesus, recognize the gifts that God has given And respond by giving all we are and all we have to the one who has loved us, called us, and saved us. God, may it be, may we find you this week in our coming and going. And may we respond to your goodness and love through Christ Jesus our Lord, the light of the world. Amen and amen.